Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Our spring season is on listening and staying curious in our relationships. Therefore, we started this podcast by learning how to ask better questions. Better questions of the church, better questions of your Bible, better questions of God, and better questions as leaders. So if this is your first time, welcome. Welcome to the conversation. Today, Jimmy is going to introduce us to the new topic under this spring season of listening and staying curious. What's cooking, honey? All right. So, as Patty just said, we are in our spring season of learning how to listen. We've gone over how to ask better questions. And now we're going into something that is near and dear to my heart that uh, I think takes us into a different type of territory, but very similar. And that's understanding points of view. We want to talk about point of view and why does that matter? Awesome. Yeah. Definitely need help in this department. Do you? Okay. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I think you're just perfect. Let me stop you right there. You are created. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So a point of view uh, is basically we all have a unique one, right? It comes from our set of assumptions on how the world works. Taken together, our assumptions become our bias. Uh. What do you hear? What do you think of when you hear the word bias? B-I-A-S. Sometimes I feel like I say that word funny. No, no, I understood. Bias. Close-minded is probably the first thing that comes to my mind. If you call someone, if someone called you biased... Would you feel good about that? No, absolutely not. No, right? You would feel like, how dare you? Right? Why? Because what do we all want to be? We all want to get along. Yeah. And we always want to be right. We always want to be right. We want to <laughs> think of ourselves as being open-minded. Mm. Right? We all want to think that everything, that we're open to everything, that we're not biased. Okay. Uh, Wikipedia. I'm, I've been really impressed with Wikipedia lately. I used to be like really against Wikipedia, but I feel like... They've been coming out with some stuff, and not, not like there's any they behind Wikipedia. But uh, I've just been impressed lately with the level of quality on Wikipedia. It describes bias as a dis- disproportionate weight in favor of or against an idea or thing, usually in a way that is closed-minded, prejudicial, or unfair. Biases can be innate or learned. People may develop biases for or against an individual, a group, or a belief. In science and engineering, a bias is a systematic error. Statistical bias results from an unfair sampling of a population or from an estimation process that does not give accurate results on average. So, you know, 
I guess that, that kind of sounds negative too. Yeah. Right. So Wikipedia kind of st- describes bias as that's not something you want. Right. So people, I, w- I would say probably drive, strive to not be biased. Most right? people. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, the word appears to derive from the old provincial into old French. We <laughs> oui, we oui. uh, sideways askance against the grain. Say that again. As sideways askance or against the grain. So it comes from a word B I A I S. I'm not going to try the French pronunciation. Bias. We we have some friends that could do that. Oh yeah, I'm sure <laughs> they would be happy to tell us they could do that too. <laughs> Uh, sideways, askance, or against the grain. Um, yeah, so point of view, uh, we all have a unique point of view that comes from our set of assumptions on how the world works. Taken together, our assumptions become our bias. Bias can feel like a very negative word, mm-hmm. right? It can feel like something that uh, I want to, I don't have any biases. How dare you call me biased? I'm fair, mm-hmm. right? We all like have this uh, inflated notion of fairness or unfairness. Um, but bias is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Because we all have a view of the world uh, in a place that we're coming from, From right? experience. From experience, yeah. Understanding. If I'm an Irish-Italian guy growing up in Staten Island, I come from a very different place of, you know, someone growing up in, I don't know, Moscow mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, a, a girl growing up from Lima, Peru. That would be me. Yeah. You know, we come from different sides of the world. Mm-hmm. Our cultures are very different. Yep. Right? The people who raised us are different. We're yep. raised in different social economic places. I was raised uh, here in Staten Island in America where we, we tend to value freedom of speech. We can say anything to anybody and uh, that should be okay. You know, maybe someone growing up in communist Russia, they, they wouldn't feel like that. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't feel like they're free to just say whatever they want and honestly i don't know because i didn't grow up in russia yeah you know i'll have to ask some of my friends that did um so we all kind of have to admit that we're all coming from a different point of view yeah a different bias yeah scholarship right because we're talking about spirituality here religion uh they once tried to escape this they once they used to write some a lot of them still do but anyone who's actually good a good scholar, whether it be in biblical studies, theology, even science and math, as we'll see, um, they basically no longer try and say that they're not biased, mm. right? What they do is they admit it up front. They'll actually sometimes list it. Here are my biases mm. going into this. Yeah. I'm an Anglican bishop, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Or I'm an Anglican theologian, like one of our famous authors. N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright, right? <laughs> he'll, he'll let you know he is through and through Anglican, mm-hmm. right? Now, he'll turn around and he'll criticize the Anglican Church Mm -hmm. for different things. But he is very much, you know, coming from an Anglican point of view. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes he knows that. And going into his research, one of the reasons I love him so much is that he's hyper aware of the biases he brings to the table as someone who very early on in his life, you know, had a profound experience with the Anglican faith, right, and committed his life to being, uh, you know, being a, a priest in the Anglican faith and now being a scholar. Um, so the truth is that everyone has like a one-sided tendency of the mind or a particular way they see the world. So biblical scholars, as we said, they'll try and state that up front. This is what I'm biased about. 
well, they won't call it that, right? Because it still kind of seems like a dirty word, bias. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, this is my faith. This is my background. Scientists as well are very aware of this. They use in clinical trials something called double-blind studies. Have you ever heard of those? Nope. So uh, we all on, we all love the pharmaceutical companies, right? <laughs> are you testing me right yes. now? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. And I'm publicly saying that on the podcast. Whoa. That will be broadcasted wherever to a church near you. There are conflict avoiders and there are my wife who runs the conflicts, waving a burning torch. Anyway. Uh, so there are these things called double-blind clinical trials. Okay. So basically, if they have a new medication that they think is good for something, mm-hmm. right, they'll basically get a group of people to see how the medication helps whatever it is that it's supposed to treat. So they get a bunch of people that, let's say, suffer with arthritis. Okay. Right? So they think this medicine will help them with arthritis. Mm-hmm. So what they it do... It could be dehydration. But I'm sorry. Yeah. Go on. I'm sure it could be. Uh, or anything... Right? Any type of... They're allergic to broccoli, and they think this medicine will help. Right? So they, they'll get a group of people who suffer with this broccoli mm-hmm. uh, allergy, right? And they'll give them medicine. But not the researchers won't know who's actually getting the medicine, hmm. and neither will the patients. Hmm. Um, now, there a, there's a bunch of numbers, mm-hmm. right? So every medication they give out is numbered. So someone knows... Uh-huh. but not someone who's administering the test. Uh-huh. And so then the data you get back, if these people get better uh-huh. from their broccoli allergy, I was going to say broccoli addiction, which would, uh-huh. that sounds like you have more problems than we can help <laughs> help you on this podcast if you're addicted to broccoli. Gross. Um, and I mean, I love broccoli. What so you may be biases uh, with vegetables. I might be biased with vegetables. <laughs> yes. Uh, my mother doesn't eat anything that's green. Um, not even avocado, people. Not even avocado. And avocado is delicious. But uh, I first had avocado as a almost thirty year old, married to this lovely lady sitting across from him. It was on a it was on a trip with you and Shauna mm. that I first had avocado, and I didn't know how to peel it, so I was peeling it like an orange. And our friend Shauna says to me, "Oh, is that avocado just for you?" And I'm like, "No." She's like, "Oh, because you're peeling it, you're getting your fingers all over it." I was like, "Oh, I didn't know there was a way." Okay, and we went. Maybe that, I don't know something here about avocados. We're probably going to edit, edit that part out, right? No, that's great. Anyway. Don't, don't say that. Like, right now, just let it go. Well, even if you end up keeping it, it's, it's fun anyway. Okay. They, yeah. So, double-blind clinical trials. It's considered, like, the gold standard, you know. And they take time, obviously, because it's not just, you can, it's not just something that you think works. You're doing double-blind clinical trials over long periods of time. Mm. Um, there's something called observer bias. Have you heard of that? No. So observer bias uh, is a tendency to see what we expect to see or what we want to see. When a researcher studies a certain group, they usually come to an experiment with prior knowledge and subjective feelings about the group being studied. So a perfect example of this would be, um, I would say, the presidential election of Trump. Okay. Donald Trump. Mr. Mm-hmm. Trump, however you want to call him. Mm-hmm. Um, so the polls, all sh- you know what polls are, right? P O L L S. P O L L. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like it's like surveys, or yeah. this is what they think is going to happen yeah, I know based what on surveys. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> they didn't mean to. Uh, yeah. So a poll, mm-hmm. right? The pollsters, whatever they call themselves, 
they overwhelmingly predicted that Trump was going to lose and he was going to lose dramatically. Right. Like it was going to be no contest. Yeah. That obviously didn't happen. Now, why? Because of something called observational bias. If their job was to go sample a thousand people, where is it easiest to sample a thousand people? Big cities. Big cities. Mm-hmm. Right? Where you have mostly people who don't support President Trump. Mm-hmm. If you go out in the middle of nowhere, like some farm in Ohio, mm-hmm. right? It's going to be hard to get a group of people together. Right. To sample that same number, 1,000 people, might take you a month. Because right. you might have to go door to door. Right? But you go down to a subway station in the middle of New York City and rush hour, you're going to get 1,000 people in an hour right. to do your little poll. So the pollsters tend to, the people who take polls tend to be in cities, right? They congregate around where there are usually big universities, right? You need complicated math to do this stuff. So you have something called observational bias. And it can, again, it can be seen as a dirty word, uh, especially, you know, we have a lot of things going on right now with COVID-19. A lot of different people are using science to say one thing or the other. Right. They say, hey, scientifically, this is a big deal. Right. We need to all stay home. We need to shut down a country and everyone needs to wear masks. And then there's other people also saying that they're using science, saying that we're making a big deal out of nothing. Right. Everyone has to strengthen their immune system and they just need to go out. They, They throw around complicated words like herd immunity and stuff like that. So obviously you see two groups. Both saying they're using science, right? Right, uh, but they're they're biased with their science towards using the science for different things, you know. Because people can have a bias, and sometimes they don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you can be a scientist, you can be a researcher, you can be whatever. You can have fully studied something out, right, and be really confident that you're right. Uh, but if you're not aware of your bias, sometimes you're not really letting the numbers tell you what's going on you're not really letting the science tell you what's going on you're following your heart oh i see, um, i see what the question i had hmm. uh when you it almost sounded that the observational uh what's the title again? observational bias was actually like a good thing right uh and and when you connected that to the election i thought we were going somewhere about how oh that no! Became a good yeah, thing. the observational bias is a, is not a good thing. It's something that you want to fight against. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of fringe science, like um, they have strong opinions about things, mm-hmm. and they go into the science like with those strong opinions. Mm-hmm. So of course they find science that backs them up. Well, <clears throat> I I believe that it's not just the strong opinions but it's their powerful agendas that have profit over people sure yeah um so but yeah okay yeah no absolutely um yeah so you know people like to appeal to facts and impartiality when making their arguments you know they 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 want to seem like they're credible Mm -hmm. you know uh unfortunately appealing to indisputable facts is rarely useful because both sides have the same facts, right? We're all talking about the same facts. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So you have people who are arguing over COVID-19. Sure. Right? They're the same set of facts Mm -hmm. that they're arguing over. 
right? They just see things differently. There's a disease mm-hmm. that's happening. It's affecting a lot of people. Um, it's affected us, right, in personal ways. We all have to understand that we have a bias. Yeah. And I think, you know, like one of my old uh, bosses and former mentors used to say, when emotion is high, intelligence is low. <laughs> you know, so like when, when people are feeling a lot of things, right, it's hard to see things objectively, you know, wherever, whatever's going on. But just admitting that we have these biases is okay because we all have them. And they're actually, they're kind of useful in some ways. You know, it helps us even as a species. You know, if we can make certain general assumptions about the way the world works, we can make faster decisions, right? We don't have to sit and deliberate everything. We're able to just make a decision, move on and go. Um, But, you know, sometimes they're not useful. (laughs) Bias is not useful. Um, And I think it gets it gets not it's not useful is when we're not aware of it and we let that determine the ultimate right and wrong. Does that make sense? No. Say that again. Uh, Bias can be useful, right? Because it it helps us to interpret what's going on around us, how we feel about things, what's what's going on. Uh, But it's not useful when we don't admit that we have biases, right? Because then we can confuse our bias for the objective truth. All right, so uh, some useful metaphors when we're talking about point of view, especially because we're talking about you know, biases, again, not as like a dirty word. Oh, you're so biased, right? <laughs> oh, why does mom always favor Janet? She's so biased, <laughs> right? You know, like, oh, why doesn't my coach put me in? He likes Ricky better than me. I'm a better player. Put me in, coach. <laughs> um, so when understanding bias as just a particular slant, a particular way that you see the world, mm. how those are actually useful, right? Because to help us make quick snap decisions, Hmm. right? It's basically a way of summarizing years of learning, years of experience that help us uh, when we need to decide things or it helps us to interpret the world. And it becomes dangerous, right? Dun-dun-dun. When those uh, biases, we we see them as truth, Hmm. like unquestionable truth, right? And to help us understand that, we want to talk about two things, two metaphors that I've found useful. There's a third metaphor later that we're going to use that's not mine, but it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Or it's uh, it's great, right? <laughs> not to use uh, coded words. Uh, but the first one is a, is a lens. Okay. Right? So when you're reading a book, what do you need? <laughs> My glasses. Right. Because <laughs> if you're not wearing glasses, right? If it's not in your face, it goes in your case. <laughs> yes. Yeah, shout out to the the saleswoman to help me buy one of my glasses once. That's great. Um, yeah, so basically, if you know me, you know the story. I didn't I didn't even know I needed glasses until I was a young adult, uh, because when they tested me in like third or fourth grade, whenever, right? Uh, they brought in eye doctors. It was like a, a thing in in the eighties. They would test kids, whatever. Uh, I think without permission, too. I think they just oh, brought wow. it. I think they just brought in, it was the 80s, you know? And uh, they were like, wow, like, you, you need glasses. I don't think you can see the board. 
<laughs> and so they sent me home with a letter. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, Jimmy, or James, whatever they called me in school. Mm-hmm. James, you Hi, need glasses. James. How come your mother hasn't bought you glasses yet? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. She got she got the note. She said, I don't need glasses. <laughs> so totally eventually it. it became a teacher parent-teacher conference mm-hmm. where they were telling my mom, Ronnie, your son needs glasses. Ah! Just let him sit closer to the board. He's fine. My kid doesn't need no glasses. All right? And then so I didn't think I needed glasses. I don't I didn't know understand why I was suddenly being put in the front of the class, you know? Um, and then it was like years later in college where I tried on someone's glasses and I was like, "Whoa. Is this what the world is supposed to look like? There were so many colors. Everything was so clear." I was like, oh, wow, the streetlights don't have the halo anymore. You guys don't see that? Like, no, no, because we wear glasses and we can actually see. So, yeah, that's my story with lenses. So lenses, what do they help us to do? See things better. They help us to see things better, right? And I also like to refer to this as our box. Okay. Right? Did you ever hear the expression, oh, you have to learn how to think outside of the box? Yep, that's yeah. where I like to live. Yeah, well, that expression kind of drives me crazy <laughs> because it assumes that we're all operating from the same box, mm. right? And I, I firmly believe in order to think outside of the box, you have to know what that box is first, Okay. right? You have to know what all your preconceived notions are. You have to know what your assumptions are in order to think outside of those things. That's cool. Because a lot of times I think people think they're thinking outside of the box right. and they're not really. It's just the same old basic whatever hmm. they just they think it's their idea okay. right so nothing's new under the sun nothing is new under the sun i actually wrote that down uh to share that would you like to read that scripture for us oh you did yep <laughs> guys i have notes but i don't read it <laughs> okay <laughs> she just shows <laughs> up guys i really want to just show up to this conversation okay ecclesiastes one nine okay so it says, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. It's like we finish each other's sandwiches. sandwiches. Okay. <laughs> such nerds. Okay. Indubitably. Okay. So basically, as whoever the writer was of Ecclesiastes is saying, um, there's really nothing new. People think they come up with new things all the time. Right. They think, oh, this is a new theory. This is that. A lot of times we don't even realize like the shadows we're living in of much better thinkers that came before us. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in, in many ways, we're still living in a shadow of, of what's called the Enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's something that you can go and you can research on your own. And who knows, maybe we'll do an episode on that one day. And the Enlightenment basically gave birth to modernism and postmodernism, which you know, people don't even realize it, but, you know, if you are a millennial in America, you're basically heavily influenced by postmodernist thinking. Hmm. And you don't even, a lot of people don't even know what that is, right? And they wouldn't, like, if you said, if you, if you said that to them, they would almost get mad. No, I'm my own person. I've thought for myself. But the world that we live in has been constructed by these ideas. And in many ways, they've given us a box, Right. Your upbringing has given you part of your box. Your yeah. parents, what they taught you, going to school, the things that you learned is true, right? Uh, 
one of the things that really made me angry uh, as a university student Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, I had learned a lot of what I thought was science in school. Mm. And then I, I started studying to become a scientist and I realized how inaccurate everything I had been taught was. Like, let's take the cell, for instance. Hmm. Right? Please. <laughs> tell me tell me what a cell is, Patty. It's the tiny motors that are running a life. <laughs> yeah. It's basically like the smallest unit of life, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a mm-hmm. cell. We're made of cells, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at a picture of a cell mm-hmm. that they show usually in school, mm-hmm. it looks like this, like, it looks like a one-dimensional rectangle. Yeah. Right. And then you realize, and a lot of my teachers didn't know this growing up. I don't know if many teachers teach us nowadays, but that is actually a three dimensional object. It is not just a flat rectangle. Right. It's not a box. Right. right? It usually has some strange, lumpy, like cylindrical shape. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are things inside of it that are also strange. You know, mitochondria mm-hmm. are another form of life with its own. DNA. Mm-hmm. At some point, those mitochondria decided to live inside most living cells. Mm-hmm. We have no idea why mm-hmm. or what that what that story is, but they kind of live in there. They're in you, yeah. but they are not you. Yeah. Right? And they've been passed down from uh you know, from your parents. Mm-hmm. Basically, those mitochondria have a whole existence inside of us. That's like their universe. We're their universe, right? Where yeah. we live in, in the world and earth. And you, uh, you're you holding up a book here and jumping up and down. What is this book? I have not read it. This is your book, actually. Oh, it's a great book. The Lives of a Cell. Mm-hmm. Um, Lewis Thomas. Uh, I just got excited. I thought you were going um, with the whole the nucleus being the brain of the cell and how you got upset. When you found out that it actually... Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is that yeah. where you were going with the cell example? I wasn't, but that's another great example. Yeah. Is that the, the cell in elementary school and high school, mm-hmm. like when I taught high school biology, yep. I kind of like laughed at it because I was like, oh, guys, you have to like know this for the test, but this is totally not true. <laughs> it says here the nucleus is the brain of the cell. No, it is not. That's where basically the blueprints are kept of all DNA, but the brain of the cell, the, if you take out a nuke, if you uh, take, take out the nucleus out of the cell, mm-hmm. the cell still lives. The cell still lives for a long mm-hmm. time. As things break down, it can't repair itself because right. it's lost the instructions. Yeah. But really it seems like the brains of the cell are. The brains of the cell? Mm-hmm. Mitochondria. The mitochondria. <laughs> exactly. You take those mitochondria out. Yeah. And you know, Forget we get about it. That's it. That seems to be like more of the, the brain, mm-hmm. right? But, um, you know, that was also taught, and I th- believe it's still taught in schools today, that the mitochondria are like the powerhouses of the cell. Yeah. Right? That's where the ATP is produced. And that is AKA the energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who don't know what ATP means. Yeah. But it seems to be something else going on there. But, you know, who knows? We've kind of. Are we going to geek out? We've kind of taken a long tangent. This might not make it to the podcast. But. Can I say something when you were talking about outside the box? Because I actually read this this, uh, quote from Gandhi this morning. Uh, He said, uh, he explained in 1936, uh, so a few years before he died, 
Uh, there is no such thing as a Gandit Gandism. <laughs> Sorry. Gandhiism? <laughs> Gandhiism. Thank you, you. And I do not want to leave any sect after me. I do not claim to have origi- originated any new principle or doctrine. I've simply tried in my own way to apply the eternal truth to our daily life and problems. The opinions I have formed and the conclusions I have arrived at are not final. I may change them tomorrow. I have nothing new to teach the world. Truth and nonviolence are old as the hills. Mm. And I was like, preach! Yeah. Yes! So anyway, so when you were talking about the box, and we then talked about um, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9... I thought about what I read this very morning. That's cool. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. So anyway, kind of getting getting back on track here. So we have our lenses. It's one one metaphor for talking about your point of view, your lens. People have said they kind of color the way you see the world, right? Mm -hmm. Like let's say if you have uh, glasses that have a red tint or a blue tint, right? It's going to make everything that color. Uh, I like to think of it as a box, mainly because of that whole outside the box metaphor that people like to say without really thinking it through mm-hmm. right in order to think outside the box you still you first have to build a great box you yeah. have to know what your box is so the box being your biases your slants your assumptions about the world um <clears throat> it's, thank you for clarifying that because at the beginning of this conversation i was like oh i love saying that mm. and i yeah i don't think i'm gonna use that oh i, I forgot that you said that sorry that wasn't a <laughs> That wasn't a commentary on, on, on you. No, that's okay. You're perfect, is, baby. You're perfect. No, babe, this is great because adding so the way I used to, uh, the analogy of think outside the box to me meant be creative. Mm-hmm. That, that's all. But now looking at like the term and, and your analogy that you're bringing to the table, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of leadership training that I received at uh, a really great nonprofit not sure if i can mention it here um was in and this wasn't always uh carried out in practice but in theory it we we wanted to clearly define what our objectives were yeah so i was in the field of youth youth development Mm -hmm. youth and family Mm -hmm. so we would spend like years or they had spent years and then you kind of get invited into this conversation to continue it not for them just to tell you what they already decided right about youth and family what that was, how do we define success? Right. What What does that even mean? Yeah. Why is it important? Why are we def- Why are we making a circle yes. around youth and family? What is that circle? Yeah. Right. What does that mean? Does that just mean teens? Yeah. No, it does not. It's much more than just teens. I love that you said that they didn't bring their own agendas because according to this nonprofit's. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Not association, the nonprofits, uh, corporate offices, they have a definition. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that the community that you're serving in that definition has to be a combined decision with your team. Right. So you can have a nonprofit's mission. However, it's going to look different in every community. Yeah. So one nonprofit in New York City, it's going to very, look very different from one in Ohio. I don't know why we keep picking on Ohio. 
We love you, Ohio. Ohio! Actually, actually we, we do have a listener there. I just remembered. Oh, wow. I'll yeah. tell you later. We're big in Ohio, <laughs> currently. It's only one person, I think. <laughs> Maybe your husband. At least according to Simplecast. You know, whatever. Um, yeah, that's good. I think, you know, it's inviting everyone into the conversation of looking at the box. Mm-hmm. You I know? like it. And, yes. and commenting on the box. And do we still like this box? And that, that's going to become more relevant later. Awesome. But for now, it's important to understand that the box is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's okay that you have some type of bias. Mm-hmm. It's okay that you have some type of slant. It's okay yeah. that you wear a lens. It's yeah. okay that you have a box. Yes. The problem is, is not seeing it or denying it where a lot of, where a lot of things go wrong. So when people are like, no, I'm not biased. I don't have a box. I don't have a particular. I just, I just see the truth, right? In certain contexts, we would call that person crazy, right? <laughs> but we do this all the time. No, the way I, the way I see the world is the right way. Maybe we're not uh, bold enough to say it, hmm. like or vulnerable explicitly enough. or vulnerable. Uh-huh. Uh But in our actions, we tend to say that that's where most of us come from. Yeah. Uh, most people are blissfully unaware of their box. They assume that their way of looking at the world is the correct and only way. Mm-hmm. While this is true of almost everyone, this is especially true in modern religious circles. And in this series, we're going to be doing three things. First, which may or may not be this episode because I think we're going long is we're going to learn how to see our box, right? This is uh, life to the full of message to Christians. So we're specifically going to ask as a Christian, what box am I in and how do I see my box? Second, we're going to learn how to see and respect other people's boxes, right? Once we see our own, we're going to say, hey, are there other boxes out there that maybe I'm not aware of? Mm-hmm. And I want to learn to be able to see those and in most cases, learn how to respect yeah. those boxes, right? Uh, and thirdly, we will explore how to think outside of our own boxes and why that's important, all right? And if we have time, you might edit me later. Uh, I want to take a brief look at maybe can we somehow wrap our minds around what was Jesus's box? What box was he and the authors of the New Testament mm. operating out of. Yes. And does my box look like that box? Yeah. So we talked about point of view, bias. You took us through the biblical scholars, uh, scientists, the over, I'm sorry, the observer bias. And you gave an example of the Trump presidential election. And then you talked to us about lens and boxes. So what do you think will be a good challenge for this week as we embark a new series of point of view? So thanks for breaking that down on where we're going to go. But what will be a challenge that you may have for our listeners? Well, reflect maybe on um, what your biases could be, okay. right? Uh, judgment-free zone, right? Just like, uh, yeah, no judgments. Just uh, what do you think some of your biases are? Do you, you know, ask yourself, do you, do you agree with that? Do you feel like, no, I'm totally not biased. I totally 
100% disagree, you know, and that, that's okay too. We can have a conversation about that as well. Um, but, you know, try and just reflect on, you know, based on your upbringing, uh, based on who you are, your education, your life experiences, what are some ways that you might have built a box for yourself? Remember the box is okay. The yeah. box is useful. Yeah. The box is helpful. It's only when we confuse the box as the ultimate source of truth, when that when or we, we deny it, or we deny that the box is even yeah. there, where we can run into trouble. I think that's actually my challenge: uh, denying that I have a box because, aka, I think outside the box. Mm-hmm. I am creative, and uh, I'm many cultures. I live. 20 plus places. I see the world. <laughs> oh boy. So when you said, the one thing maybe I want to add to this challenge is that the, the things that make you very emotional, <laughs> and when you said when emotion is high, intelligence is low, mm-hmm. embrace it. Just let it, let it rip. Let it rip with emotions and just write it down. Yeah. Write it down. And that, that could be a clue, too. So yes. the things that you're passionate about or the things that make you angry mm-hmm. or, you know, invoke any type of emotional response, that yes. could be a clue yes. that there is some type of architecture there yes. that could be uh, your box, your yes. set of assumptions, your biases, your own unique slant. Yeah. So invite, we're inviting you. Oh, no, sorry. Scratch that. Invite yourself to explore all the clues. As always, you could find the full episode notes at our website at www.ysuperstars.com slash life to the full, or you could click down here on iTunes or Spotify, where it will directly send you to the website where you could write down your comments, the challenges, the questions, and my prayer is that we're ready to dive in and how to see our biases in our boxes, which is okay. We'll see you next week. Adios, muchachos. Y muchachas. <laughs>